Greetings, and welcome to episode four of the Heavy Metal Bebop podcast, a series of conversations about jazz and metal. I'm your host, Hank Steamer. As I mentioned last time, you can now find this show in the podcast section of iTunes. So I encourage you to search for Heavy Metal Bebop there. And if you like what you hear, please consider subscribing and leaving a rating or review. You can also check out the show at heavymetalbebop.podbean.com. That's heavymetalbebop.podbean.com. Our guest this time around is multi-instrumentalist and composer Tyshawn Sori. I've been a huge fan of Tyshawn's work for a while, both on his own and with artists such as Vijay Iyer and Steve Lehman. And going into this conversation, I knew relatively little about Tyshawn's interest in or experience with metal, but based on a couple of Instagram posts I saw of his, as well as some particularly intense live shows I witnessed, including one incredible gig at the Village Vanguard where he was playing John Zorn's music with Mark Rebo and Trevor Dunn, I got the feeling that a conversation for this series might be worthwhile. You're about to hear the results, and I'm really happy with how the interview turned out. To learn more about Tyshawn and his work, go to TyshawnSorey.com. That's T-Y-S-H-A-W-N-S-O-R-E-Y.com. Before we begin, just a couple quick notes about the audio. First, you might hear just a little bit of domestic background noise at a few spots, but those moments are brief and isolated, so just bear with us. And second, this interview is a good deal shorter than the others in this series so far. We are dealing with a tight time window, but we still managed to cover a lot of ground. All right, that's about it. Before the interview, you'll hear a bit of the track Pillars Part 2 from Tyshawn's excellent 2018 album Pillars. And after that, my conversation with Tyshawn Sori. I guess like you know in terms of in terms of your work and in terms of like the stuff that i've you know seen you mention or, or things like that i just kind of wanted to start with a few of those and like i, I was looking on your instagram and there was i think one point where you mentioned buying a, a mashuga box set right yeah um and i was just thinking maybe we could start with that that sure band, yeah you know, t- the, the t- 25 years of musical deviance uh, yeah. box set right yeah absolutely yeah um, well, you know, I've been listening to Mashuga since around maybe 2001 or so. Good friend of mine, Aaron Stewart, um, who was uh, who's from San Jose, California, and who was actually one of my first mentors when I quote unquote arrived in New York. Even though I've been there this entire time, um, let's see, he was like one of the first people who sort of um, got me engaged with with a lot of things or whatever, particularly a lot of technical metal and different things like that. And so Mashuga was one of the first groups uh, that he had hit me to in around 2000, 2001 or so. And when I listened to their music or whatever, I, you know, it was immediately very striking to me. Um, at that time, Destroy, Race, Improve, and Chaos Fear or whatever were the two records that I was listening to quite a lot uh, during that time. And so... Ever since then, I've basically collected every single Meshuggah CD that came out and basically wore it out, you know, every time I would have it. And so, um, but 25 Years of Musical Deviance was something, you know, I always thought, you know, I'd like to have this on vinyl someday because I'm a vinyl collector too and I'm an avid vinyl person and everything. I have lots of records and things. And so, um, I wanted to 
collected stuff on vinyl, but every time I would find it, you know, like for example, like a copy of Destroy Racing Prove or Chaos Fear or something like that, or or you know, or even something like I, for example, like they would be super expensive, you know, for these pressings of the LPs. And so I just, you know, almost gave up on it. But then when I found out about this box set, I said, okay, well, I have to get this, especially when I have the money. Like, I have to get this, you know, at that time. And so when it came out, I, you know, I tried to find the correct pressing because, as you know, there are uh, lots of mispressings um, on about that box set. And so I tried to find the right pressing and I located it in Germany. And so I bought it from this guy on Discogs or whatever in Germany. And he had never shipped a, <laughs> it was funny to risk that one takes with this thing. You know, he was like, um, like I've never shipped internationally before and all of this stuff. So I was like kind of worried, you know, because I just like basically dropped like 1200 bucks <laughs> for this, you know, box set and everything. And so, you know, I was a little skeptical, but you know, he seemed like a really nice guy and he actually knew of my work. Um, he knew of my music and everything. So we did meet, we immediately clicked and everything. And he understood the connection, um, that I had to Meshuga or something like that. Like he, he understood why I would want to purchase something like that. And so he shipped it to me. And um, it came, it arrived in, you know, of course, brand new condition and everything. And, and I just had to post it and everything. And, and Dan Weiss, who's a very good friend of mine, um, is also a very avid Meshuggah fan and everything. I've got to attend a couple of their concerts and everything. Um, in fact, Muha Richard Abrams used to go to um, Meshuggah's concerts and stuff like that. And, you know, that was, that was also very encouraging uh, to me to see that going on. And so... It's been um, it's been it's been a great you know journey and everything. Getting to listen to this group for the last almost twenty years now, you know, listening to their brilliance and all of the stuff that they were doing and that kind of thing, and now to have it all on vinyl, at least until like Obzen, um, you know, I mean, it's it's good to have at least you know that much stuff on vinyl, and hopefully future things that they release will definitely come out on vinyl. Yeah. So you were talking about how you know when you bought it from from this guy on Discogs like that that he he understood like what the connection would be or something but like I'm wondering right. I'm wondering if you could tell me like maybe even going back to when you first heard it like what what was it about Destroy Race Improve or just the band in general like what jumped out at you Well you know for a long time I hadn't been very much in touch with metal you know like I like there's there's a lot of metal that I frankly don't like and so um and so when i've listened to mashuga it was the first time that i heard metal being done in this way that i've never heard before you know what i mean in, in a way that's you know highly technical but also like creatively interesting and also harmonically interesting uh for me you know a lot of metal that i've heard before that was you know with the exception of groups like gorguts and and um and also probably crypt cryptopsy um much of what i've heard or whatever is you know very sort of cheesy to me you know harmonically and everything and you know a lot of the time it would be like in four four and it was never really a technical thing or whatever that i heard up until i've heard you know groups like that or whatever and particularly mashuga when i got into mashuga uh, it made me listen to some of these other groups more and everything and get more into what was happening in um, in those other groups like Gorguts, uh, for example, which for me is like probably my favorite uh, group, even though they're kind of, um, I don't want to say defunct, but they're, but they're, you know, they're, they're doing something completely different from, say, the stuff that they did like in the late 90s or, you know, like Obscura or whatever. Like they're, they're not doing anything like that now. But um, 
But what struck me about Mashuga, as I said, was the technical nature in which they were able to deal with the music harmonically and also um, rhythmically. Like, it's very rhythmically complex, even though it was all in 4-4. Four, four. Um, I wanted to get away from hearing the music as some kind of 4-4 four, four thing or something like that. I wanted to really hear all of the, the divisions within uh, what was happening with the beat of that music and that kind of thing and to see how, you know, look at these more sort of, I don't want to say asymmetrical, but look at these... Um, sort of uneven um, ways in which they dealt with the 4-4 meter and that kind of thing. And so um, so it became apparent to me that, that, you know, what they were doing was, you know, it was extremely technical and it was very, uh, it was interesting. It was very interesting to my ears uh, when I first heard their work. And um, so, and of course, I mean, Chaos Fear, um, I guess it was for me, like, going between Destroy Erase and Proof and Chaos Fear, like, again, we're talking about the early 2000s when I first happened upon my sugar. Chaos Fear ended up being the, like, the top, sort of the CD that was always in rotation, like, all the time and everything, even more than Destroy Erase and Proof, because Chaos Fear, I thought, was definitely an evolutionary um, place that went away from Destroy Erase and Proof. It was kind of a departure from Destroy Erase and Proof. Um, that was very welcome um, to my ears and also the complexity of the lyrics and you know all of that kind of thing I mean it was all very uh, very striking to me um, especially for chaos fair so it was it was uh, it was a fortunate time for me because I was interested in hearing something else um, in metal other than what you know what I was exposed to and so that's what Mashuga did for me well you talked about being struck by the by the rhythms you know obviously which is a you know standout feature of a sugar like draws in a lot right. of people like when you when you first heard it was there were you actually getting on the drums and trying to figure some of this stuff out was was that a part of it um it was more it was more for listening i mean and also you know when i would get on the drums i mean i've always liked playing that kind of stuff on drums even or whatever like a lot of so-called hard rock stuff or metal or that kind of thing even though nobody really asked me to do it i mean it was a thing that i was able to do and still I'm able to do. Um, and um, so uh, when I would get on the drums, at, at that time I was at William Patterson uh, University. And um, what I would do sometimes or whatever is I would like just shed along to the Meshuggah CDs and stuff like that. You know, I would be shedding along to to those records and everything. And even after I graduated, like I practiced at William Patterson and I would like sometimes throw on Meshuggah and everything and just shed to that stuff and just play to that music and um yeah, I mean, and I mean, and just, I mean, the the way that the sound that Thomas Hockey gets out of the drum set is always has always been something that was really cool for me, you know, in terms of, you know, what the drum sound is like and everything. And so I would try to like, you know, get similar kinds of sounds or whatever whenever I would practice, even though I didn't have a f super full kind of drum set like he has. Um, it was still kind of a thing, like the the sound of the drums was what. Uh, was captivating and everything the sound that he was getting out of it and how solid he he was you know and with his approach to this stuff sometimes you know for me it's like sometimes i don't like to be in one particular place for a long time when i'm playing but that's changed now i mean like you know i mean you know we change as musicians and everything as and as people who um who play certain instruments and everything i mean we change over time but back then like i was in my early 20s so of course you know, anytime I would learn a particular pattern or I would learn a particular way of playing something, um, you know, I'd do it. But then I would like 
immediately start to try to deviate from it and everything. But how, the way how solid uh, Thomas was, you know, kind of taught me about how musical this kind of stuff could be. You know what I mean? And about how musical um, technical metal can sound and that sort of thing. And so um, I guess I guess you could say in essence that, yeah, that was definitely what I was trying to do during those days or whatever when I was an undergraduate student at William Patterson where I would get on the drum set and practice all the time um, and, you know, and uh, practice along to, well, all of this stuff. Like sometimes I would even create loops or whatever, you know, of these certain things, these certain grooves and things like that or whatever. I would like create these loops and everything and just practice to that and meditate on those, you know, for like half hour, hour or something like that. And um, that's kind of been my experience with all kinds of music, you know, not just metal, but with contemporary music, uh, contemporary classical music and so-called jazz. And, you know, just try to find these, create these super weird loops and everything and try to find a way to interpret rhythms in a way um, that, you know, is exactly close to the loop as I can and that sort of thing. And so that's what I did a lot with Meshuggah and Gorguts and, and, and Cryptopsy and groups like that. Yeah. So tell me about the, like, you, you spoke about seeing them live a few times. Like, I'm curious to, just to hear the history of that, where you saw them and what struck you about the live show. The light show. <laughs> you know, even though I, I hear now, you know, the light show is super elaborate and everything. So I'm not sure um, how far it's progressed or whatever. It's, it's been maybe about maybe 15 years since I've seen them live. So it's it's been a very long time. Um, but um I guess to see the music perform live, you know, seeing any kind of music perform live gives you a different kind of excitement and everything, you know, when um, compared to when you're just at home listening on CD. Like I was I was I was glad to be there in the presence of, you know, like being there at a metal concert and everything and just and just being a part of, you know, that and everything, being a part of that shared experience or whatever, you know, with with the audience, you know, being there and like. You know, some of them, of course, are getting super wild out there and everything and, you know, mosh pits and that kind of thing. I mean, you know, you see some of that, but, um, you know, it's I mean, it is what it is. And it's it's cool to be a part of something like that, too, and everything because it's a different kind of shared experience than what we're used to. When we, whenever we go to so-called creative music concerts or whatever, or when we're going to contemporary classical concerts or anything of that sort, it's a different kind of shared experience that, you know, I don't think I've had, you know, until I went to see their show and um and the music sounded you know really amazing and everything the sound was amazing and you know everything else and so um and to see the amount of endurance it takes to perform a show like that you know also meant a lot to me and everything and to sort of be in that space i mean to you know we when we talk about you know because much of my work is um inspired from meditation and that sort of thing and so I guess, but when we talk about meditation, you know, we usually think of something where, you know, everything is calm and everything is like super relaxed and, you know, everything is, you know, quiet and that kind of thing. But, you know, to, to, to be at a metal concert for a long time and to see the light show that accompanies, I mean, that's, that's a different kind of meditation to me. You know what I mean? It's, it's, you know, that too is meditation and it's, it's, it's really, it's something to be in quite a space like that and you know i very much enjoyed it and i hope someday i'll get to go to another show again but you know of course life gets in the way and um also you know career stuff and teaching and everything else and so the time for me to even do something like that is like hardly possible not to mention how expensive the shows can be now too <laughs> so it's you know so 
all of these um, reasons. But um, yeah, I, I would say that definitely going to going to a concert of that of that sort, you know, during those times was was really cool for me. Uh, I, I've I've got to sort of circle back and 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 have you elaborate on that Muhal thing because I'm fascinated by that. Did you, did you actually right. attend the shows with him? Not with him, no. But um, but I heard that he happened to be there, you know, at at some of the, at some of the shows. Like I I remember um, there was one show that I didn't know that he went to, and um, and Aaron Stewart told me that he went to this show. <laughs> and I was like, wow! Like I didn't I didn't even know that he goes to those concerts. I was actually struck by that too. You know, the fact that he would. Uh, attend that concert and Muhal, Muhal and I never really got to talk about that about that experience what that was like for him but um but I just you know I would hear through the grapevine that he was at you know at those concerts and everything I was like wow that's you know for a guy his age to be you know at that time you know being you know like around 70 70 71 72 something like that I mean and listening to Meshuggah it's like that's you know <laughs> I mean, nobody in my household or anywhere, you know, really said, you know, when you get this age, you know, you should go out and, you know, take in as much different things as you can and, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, that was, you know, that was something that I've sort of cultivated on my own, you know, the fact that you can listen to anything and listen to whatever you want to listen to and that sort of, you know, that sort of ideal. I mean, from the get-go, I always listened to whatever it was that I wanted to listen to. And the model that Muhal built with the AACM was of a similar type of thing or whatever. You create the music that you want to create and you explore the interests that you want to explore. And being around people like Anthony Braxton and people like that, at that time I had just met Anthony around uh, 2002. And so, you know, learning about the work of these masters, you know, like Muhal and Anthony sort of, you know, paved the way for me to be able to define my own terms and to be able to listen to whatever music I wanted to listen to and not let a particular geographical space um, define me or define what my interests should be, you know, or even the social uh, category. Like, I've, I've always defied, like, any kind of social categorizations or any kind of, you know, I never succumbed to peer pressure and that kind of thing, you know, just to quote unquote be accepted like I was never interested in being accepted I was interested in doing whatever I wanted to do and I didn't care if anyone you know thought that it was valid you know according to them or not I mean it was I just did whatever I wanted and so to see Muhal at a Mashuga concert you know you think oh you know and here's an old black guy or whatever what is he doing at this metal concert like it, it, it was never really you know when I heard that he went to these concerts you know it was like okay well you know you can you know you really can listen to whatever it is you want and not feel judged you know from 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 being there and so you know and so that encouraged me to to go you know for sure and to see for myself what the concerts were well what what was you know going going back even earlier like what was your your sort of history with with uh, rock hard rock metal things like that like you know growing up like where did that come into your life well in high school was where it was especially prevalent um, particularly with so-called alternative rock or grunge rock and things like that um, Nirvana definitely was uh, the top group um, at that time or whatever we're talking about maybe the mid 90s mid to late 90s or whatever of course with in utero and nevermind and 
and um, Unplugged in New York and things like that or whatever, all of their records or, you know, the, the five, six records they did. Um, so that music was on heavy rotation for a while, but there was a person there at Arts High School um, where I went to in Newark, um, another student who was very much into metal and very much into, um, well, there were two people actually, uh, one person was um, named Edgar and another one was named Elvin. And those two often hung out together and, and they were considered also very different from a lot of their peers. Um, you know, and, you know, like like we three were thought of as like sort of freaks <laughs> or whatever at, at, at our high school because, you know, we've listened to a lot of alternative things that not everybody else was listening to. I mean, of course, everybody was way into hip hop and that sort of thing or whatever in that school. And while I've listened to that music, I also listened to a lot of so-called alternative rock. I mean, I've listened, of course, to a lot of more grunge things like Smashing Pumpkins, Nirvana, um, some Nine Inch Nails. And I've listened to some of that. Um, Primus. Um, trying to think of some other uh, groups that I've listened to. Um I, I still have some of those CDs <laughs> buried somewhere here in my collection, but um, but yeah, I've um, so my connection to this type of music goes, you know, back and I say especially high school because uh, before I've listened to a lot of classic rock and things like that. I was very much into uh, classic rock, you know, and also a lot of progressive rock. Uh, let's see, King Crimson, Rush. Um, groups like that and also you know i mean of course i was very much into hendrix and zappa and people like that or whatever before high school but then when i was in high school i got real deep into a lot of that stuff or whatever in high school because you know that was just what i was interested in at the time and so i would listen to that music and edgar and elvin uh, going going back to them uh they were like well have you heard of so-and-so or have you heard of this or have you heard of that and they gave me like the you know Elvin, especially because we took we took a um, music theory class, like a music fundamentals class together. And sometimes after class or whatever, we would talk for a minute and, you know, and he he noticed, you know, because I was wearing all black at the time, he wore all black. And so he was like, oh, this guy, you know, he seems interesting or whatever. Like, and so he started talking to me and we established a friendship. And um, and so sometimes he would he would pull me to the side and be like, you know, have you ever checked out this recording or whatever? Like, you know, you should check out this music, check out these groups. And he would write me this list of groups to check out. And then he gave me his phone number. And, um, and so we would be on the phone sometimes, you know, like, you know, I would do my homework or whatever and that kind of thing, but then I'd call him on the phone and we'd have like basically hour, two hours long conversations or whatever about, um, you know, the different stuff he's checking out and everything and, you know, what to listen for whenever I'm listening to um, a lot of speed and death metal and stuff like that or whatever that he was very much into. And so um, and so that was a good experience for me, you know, to have somebody in high school who I considered a peer, you know, who was, you know, interested in, quote unquote, strange music or whatever that, you know, for me, the intention wasn't to be interested in strange music. I mean, it was just something that struck me as really cool stuff you know to my ears and so i just went along with that but um edgar he was um he was more of a progressive rock uh type person and everything and so he was um you know he too would do a similar thing we took this really terrible um french class together <laughs> and so um but we were there and 
we were in the same class and you know of course we you know we had a liking to each other and everything and you know we got along very well i mean you know we were you know also considered kind of freaks in the school and everything because of the way we dressed and the way we acted or whatever and that kind of thing and you know so he would talk about some of the progressive rock groups that he was into and then he would make this list for me of things that he's listening to but we didn't have as many conversations as Elvin and I have had um, about uh, lots of lots of music to check out in those days. Do, do you remember? Like, I'm 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 curious. Like, from each of those lists, like you had, you had on one hand sort of the metal list, on the other hand the the prog list. Like, what were some of the the artists or records that stood out from each of those at that time? Like, do you? Uh, well, all of the Nirvana records. I mean, as as I said before, all of them. Um, and. Um, Let's see. And as far as anything progressive, Zappa, all the way. <laughs> like I'm, I'm a Zappa nut. Like I'm very, very much into into all of his music that he did. You know. And the thing about Zappa that um, really struck me um, the most was the fact that he never allowed himself to be um, defined in a particular category. Like he, he was, you know, he wasn't a progressive rock musician, quote unquote. And that's, you know, I mean, that's, that's, you know, but at the time, I guess the, the records I've checked out were things like Uncle Meat, we're only in it for the money and, you know, things like that. A lot of the mothers of invention type stuff that he did. But then I started getting into the stuff post mothers. Um, I'm thinking of, let's see, what am I thinking about? Um, the man from Utopia, like records like that. You know what I mean, um, or or Joe's Garage, or things like that. You know what I mean. That was the sort of thing that really um, struck me the most, and so it led me to really getting into the entirety um, of Frank's oeuvre um, and um, just getting a better understanding for what he was about. You know what I mean, as a as a musician and as a composer, because he really, to me, is you know he, he to me is a musician composer. He's not a progressive rock musician or, you know, anything of that sort, you know. And so, um, but Zappa was my guy and still is my guy all the way. Yeah. Um, in terms of that area of the music or whatever. I don't like using genre names, but, you know, but I mean, if, if we were to talk about eras, I would say, you know, definitely from 66 or so to about the 90s. I mean, you know, Frank was consistently um honest with his work you know what i mean and was always um 100 behind you know every decision that he made and he thought the highest possible thoughts that he can think and every single musical creation that he did and so um that was another precedent for me in terms of what i you know what i wanted to do you know in my own work and um and so listening to that and and um nirvana you know also you could say in some ways or whatever, also had an evolutionary kind of thing about them um, in the progression of the albums that they've done and everything. Like when you listen to something like Bleach and then you hear how the music evolved since Bleach or whatever, although, you know, like Unplugged in New York, I mean, I guess you could, you know, you could say as a sort of culmination or whatever, but I would say like getting up to In Utero, you can hear that there's some kind of evolutionary process happening or whatever in that music. And it was... It was, it, you know, I guess it became natural then for me to think of music in those terms or whatever as an evolutionary thing rather than as a thing where you play one style and then you just play that forever. 
you know and so um so zappa and nirvana were the ones um if if you really want to talk about single people or single groups that have single-handedly uh pushed me towards this approach that i take in my own work uh it was listening to their music that has also done that also i mean i'm thinking also of zorn's naked city john zorn's naked city and things like that and also um Let's see. Yeah, a lot, lot of stuff like that. You know, Locus Solus, uh, Painkiller, um, you know, th- th- that type of stuff. I mean, that too is part of an is part of an overall um, sort of thing. You know what I mean? Uh, an overall, I would say, um, how do I put this? Like an overall evolutionary process of an artist or of a group and that kind of thing or whatever. Like listening to this type of music you know, we're striking in that regard. And you can hear the same thing in Mashuga and you can hear the same thing in Gorguts and you can hear the same thing in a lot of these other groups. And so that's co- that sort of led me to a place where I can naturally try to explore that in my own work, you know. Um, what about, what about um, like playing rock or metal type things like, like either then or later? Like, like what, if, if you could just sort of take me through like your, your history and experience like playing things like that. Well, I never really had an opportunity to play things like that and so now um a lot of so-called noise gigs that i do or whatever or, you know or they're definitely metal inspired or whatever i have a project with the guitarist joe morris called loud that we actually presented here uh, locally in new haven um, at the state house uh several months ago and um it's super loud project or whatever this guy's got like marshall stacks and have this huge drum set and that kind of thing or whatever and i'm of course playing double kick pedal for that project or whatever so a lot of noise gigs are very much um uh, metal inspired and everything also i'd like to add um the flying luttenbachers to the list um as well or whatever even though i wouldn't necessarily call them just a metal group like they're not you know it's not a metal group at all it's um it's really a group that you know it's, it's mostly no wave or whatever in improvisation like ex- like this whole extremity of improvisation or whatever and the way that they deal with deal with that and i'm looking forward to their new record uh, which you know i'm super psyched about that um and um you know weasel walter has been a constant inspiration or whatever for me in this regard and in terms of what i do in my own work and you know doing these sort of noise gigs so a lot of these types of things or whatever you know naturally with guitar players there's another really great young guitarist uh kirsten carey who i've just met um at banff last august or whatever and we've done a couple of duo shows together and everything where again you know it's very much metal inspired and speed inspired and that kind of thing and um you know i try to find experiences you know as an artist you know and as a musician i try to find experiences that i normally do not get to perform in and everything and so since nobody has called me to kind of play this type of stuff and everything you know i would cultivate relationships with people that would allow me to kind of you know do that and um and so that's been that's been the case for much of what i've been doing since 2006 2007 um you know where you know if 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 i'm not asked to do a certain type of performance and everything i'll just create a situation for myself to do it rather than sit around and complain and moan about (laughs) why isn't anybody calling me to do x y or z or whatever i'll just pursue it myself and just do it myself and so um so when i happened upon the flying luttenbachers uh, it was encouraging for me to, you know, to try to explore that medium, you know, in my own way and kind of explore these types of things on my own. And so, um, 
yeah, that's why I mentioned them because they, they were another very encouraging uh, ensemble or whatever, or, or they they are an encouraging um, ensemble of musicians who, you know, push me to want to get more and more and more into that kind of way of making music. This very extreme type of way of playing, playing the drum set, which you know, like I said, I don't get to do often, but when I do do it, it's fascinating the physical results that come out of it and uh, you know because i'm known for being a very physical player anyway so it's like well why not why not pursue that on that level you know on you know by taking the instrument to you know or taking myself rather to the furthest extreme that i can or whatever in these situations and so playing with joe morris you know has been an ass-kicking experience um on a level that i thought you know was really great and it's something that i really would like to do you know more often uh, same with Kirsten or whatever, who you know has such a unique uh, language on a guitar and everything. I mean, she's a wonderful composer as well, and you know, for her to be that open to making music with me, I mean that that was that was really cool. You know, to be able to get myself in contexts, you know, where I can I can make this kind of sound, I can make this kind of noise, and not feel inhibited, you know, at all by it. Um, and so I'm hoping to do more things like that and everything and to hopefully release some CDs, you know, at some point of my doing this kind of work, you know. But, um, you know, I'm always interested in doing different things all the time anyway. And so, um, you know, this just kind of speaks further to who I am and everything. But, you know, mostly the physical nature of what this entails or whatever is what drives me to want to do it more, you know, to, in, you know, to, to be that extreme about it. What what can you say about that? Like, have there like like what what have been like the breakthroughs in the moment where you find yourself saying, you know, I've gotten to some new threshold here. Like, what what happens when you play that music? Well, it's like I want to do it again. <laughs> like I like I remember when Joe Morris and I when we played our loud set. Um, I forgot how long we were scheduled to go for, but we actually played like fast, super loud for about maybe forty five minutes or so, like very long set. And I was like, man, like, you know, like the way my body felt like it felt like it felt as though like I wanted to just keep going. Like I wanted like I, I didn't want to stop you know, after that. And so it's like, you know, I kind of wish we had more shows or whatever. I was like, man, we should do this like every week, almost every day or something, <laughs> you know, just like just go all out for like an hour or so and, and try to push ourselves to see, you know, how long we could do it each day or something it's like something crazy like that. You know, it's like that's that's the feeling i get and everything it's like you know i, I just want to keep doing this like i want to continue doing this and everything and i want to see how far i can really go and then the next time you know like the next day i woke of course i woke up sore and everything you know just from you know because you know playing that fast and loud you know for 45 minutes or whatever is something that i never get to do so it's like muscle building it's like building your building your chops and everything and it's like building your you know, ability to withstand, you know, playing with that kind of energy for a very long time. And, you know, it's it's something that I wish I could do more of, you know what I mean? But unfortunately, you know, of course, I'm not known for that. And so people decide to pigeonhole you and kind of say that you do a certain kind of thing or whatever, and they'll just leave you to do that and not really push you to do other things. And so I just got to make these situations for myself happen and uh, hope for the best in, in those, you know. It, in terms of getting together with Joe, like for that project, did you was there much uh, discussion about what this is going to be, or was it just like let's book an improv set that has loud amps? Or that's that that was what it was, you know. Let's 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 um, you know, because Joe and I we've we've been since I've moved here to New Haven, we've been working together more and everything. I mean, we've done work in the past, but 
we've been doing a lot more stuff together since I came up here. Um, and, you know, I can say that, you know, Joe and I, we never talk about what we're going to do. We, we never, ever do that. You know, and the first time that I've ever heard him, you know, like talk about, you know, the idea of doing something like this was when we played, we, I think we did a session. Um, I'm not sure if it was when we were doing the pillars sessions or not. I think it was during the pillars sessions where we were talking about this, uh, because as you know, much of pillars is very much, um, a large degree of it is composed and a large degree of it is also improvised and that kind of thing. And so when we were doing these sessions, um, there was a time when I think I was, I was, I was playing my percussion solo, which, which most of it is composed and everything. So I was playing my percussion solo and recording it in the studio and, you know, it's very, very soft and, you know, and they're only, you know, more punctual moments or whatever, where things were louder and that sort of thing. But, you know, me and Joe had a discussion in the control booth at Firehouse 12 Studios, and we were saying that, man, we should just do a gig where, like, we would just go completely nuts for, like, an hour or something. Let's just let's just try and do something like that. And, of course, I was down, you know, to do that because I've never really done that before, but I wanted to do it, you know. I don't want it, very badly wanted to do it for a long time. And so Joe's like, you know, I mean, you know, I'll get a Marshall stack together and we'll just we'll just go all out for 45 minutes or an hour or whatever. I was like, yeah, great. You know, I'd love to do that. You know, absolutely. And so, um, of course, you know, my schedule is very busy and, you know, he's also very busy and everything. And so it was hard to find a date, you know what I mean, in which we could do it. And finally this year, or not not 2019, 2018, uh, we, we made it happen. You know, we said, all right, look, there's this new venue that just opened up here in New Haven or whatever check it out, see what you think and everything. And so I go over there and I'm like, yeah, well, this is, this is the perfect space for us to do this, this duo project. Let's, let's do it. Like, let's totally do it. And, you know, I don't care what it pays. I don't care about the money. Let's just do it. Let's, let's do it because I want to, you know, I just, I wanted to get that experience for me. It's not about the money. It's about the experience and about, um, you know, really pushing myself, you know? And so, we did the gig and it's like, man, you know, all right, let's, you know, we, we should make it a regular thing, you know, where we can, you know, do this, you know, for, you know, a lot, you know, where we could do it more often. And so it kind of, the discussion was, was that, you know, I'll show up with this Marshall stack or whatever. You bring a drum set, you know, a drum set. He didn't know what I was going to bring, but I knew in my head what I wanted to bring uh, to this concert or whatever. And so I brought a super huge drum set with really large sizes and that kind of thing because see it's 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 a it's more of a challenge to play big drums than it is to play smaller ones <laughs> you know and that's that's the other thing that I was and I'm very much into big drums and that kind of thing and and into uh playing large instruments and that sort of thing which I don't get to do often either you know and so I said this is the perfect opportunity and so I brought in this you know 28 inch kick drum and you know 14 inch tom 18 inch floor tom 20 inch floor tom you know this you know big very big drums and everything and so and joe looks at me he's like you brought the right kit <laughs> you know I, I, because you know he, he i i mean i'm not sure if he didn't expect that for me but i but i think he he, he knew that i had that kind of sensibility to be able to bring the right gear to the situation and to also be able to do something musical with it and be able to, you know, really play the situation, you know what I mean? Like, and really, really play the, play the gig, you know, and that's, that's what that, that's what that was like for me. And so, 
you know, and you know, in a certain way, I've surprised Joe, but in another kind of way, I also surprised myself because it's like you know, I never get to do this, you know, and it's it it was really fun for me to do that, and I you know, I like I said before, I really hope that I can do it more often and and do it again, you know, on some level. Now you mentioned the double kick. Was that something that you'd worked a lot with before? I have, yeah. I've 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 done that uh, when I practiced at William Patterson and that kind of thing. And and, and there were even various points or whatever within um, sort of creative music gigs that I've done, even with field work, for example, with Vijay and Steve Lehman, where I've brought a kick pedal. And I remember, um, in some contexts, it works, and in some other contexts, you know, it doesn't really work that well, and everything. Um, I've used it with the Steve Lehman octet and everything, not on record, but in live concerts, sometimes I would use it. Um, so it, it was something that I, that I, it's, it's something that I use. Yeah. But, but not as often as I would like. Um, but I would, you know, but it, I mean, my double kick playing is in good shape and everything. And I, and I did shed that stuff, you know, for, for a while, especially in college, I did shed a lot of that stuff and everything, but I have a pretty fast right foot. And so. It's um, so I could do a lot of lot of really fast things with one foot and everything. But whenever I play uh, double kick pedal, it's always nice to be able to do that and to have the ability to do that. You know. Um. Now, like, because you know, you're talking about this one gig and sort of like what a what a revelation it was to to get to do this with Joe. Like, and I'm wondering because I saw you play with VJ. Um, right. It must have been last last month, I think, at the yeah. at the standard. Right. And and I I I could be you know. I, I, I could be sort of imagining things, but it seemed to me like maybe there was some kind of language, like maybe blast beats kind of creeping in there a little bit. <laughs> would, would that be would that be too much of a leap? Like, do you think this stuff makes its way into your jazz playing? It, it definitely has. I mean, and also, I mean, um, you know, I have to give credit to Vinny Kaliula for that influence and everything and for, you know, having the ability for me to do that or whatever with my right foot and my left hand and that sort of thing. I mean, Vinny... Uh, was one of the first people who I've heard do that. I had a discussion in college with uh, Mark Giuliano once or whatever. We were we were in adjacent practice rooms uh, next to each other. Mark Giuliano is an incredible drummer and composer, and um, and so we were in adjacent practice rooms at William Patterson, and he gives me this. He he like plays me this bootleg with Vinny. You know, Vinny's playing. You know, playing his ass off, and. Um, He's like swinging and he's like playing this like super fast triplet or whatever, but like kind of like a blast beat triplet, you know, like, you know, over a swing, over a swing, you know, right symbol swing beat or something like that. It's like, damn, like, and he's able to do that like so effortlessly. It's like, I got to try that. <laughs> and me and Mark just kind of looked at each other like, what the hell just happened? Like, what, <laughs> like, what was that? <laughs> you know? And so, um, and then that takes me to Tony Williams, you know, who was one of the, I guess you could say like among one of the first so-called jazz drummers or whatever, you know, to, to play, to play a blast beat, you know what I mean? Tony Williams, buddy rich for that matter, you know, people like that. I mean, hearing them kind of do that, you know what I mean? And, 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 and then, you know, so it kind of took me back historically to when, you know, when those drummers were able to kind of play like really 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 quick sort of blast beat sounding type things or whatever you know and um so that was an encouraging moment and then of course you know listening to a lot of metal and speed metal and all that kind of stuff or whatever it, it kind of 
said, oh, you know, so I, so I worked on it. I mean, it was a thing that I worked on and everything. And, but, but that's, that kind of stuff has definitely crept into my jazz playing a great deal and everything whenever I play creative music. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that you mentioned Tony because I feel like when I listen to Lifetime, yeah, uh, you, you do hear a little bit of that stuff creeping in just in moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just in moments, yeah, yeah. The particular moments. But the way that he would do that stuff was so fluid. I mean, it was so fluid how he was able to execute that. You know what I mean? And it's like, man, you know, if, if I can do that, you know, in these contexts and everything and do it in a way that's clean and, you know, and like so – because you know, like I said, I did, I did spend a while working on it, and it was, um, it was, it was, you know, so it was, it was great to hear that. You know, it was great to hear that there's a historical lineage or whatever of drummers who also explored this. You know what I mean? And also really got into that. And so I said, well, I can get into it too. I mean, I, you know, it sounds great to me, and you know, and I, I want to get that stuff in my playing as well to get that kind of speed and that kind of accuracy. You know, whenever I'm playing fast or whatever and so you know it just sort of naturally came into my playing as a result of listening to it you, you talked about we, we touched on Gorguts briefly at the beginning i was wondering right. if you could sort of take me through you know your exposures to them and 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 what what leapt out at you with with their music um well i guess uh when i first heard from wisdom to hate it was another one of those sort of experiences or whatever like what i had with sugar and everything was the um the way that the musicians were so technically adept, you know, at really dealing with the music on this like super high level and everything, like just harmonically and rhythmically speaking. Um, that was very interesting for me, even though it was very, very different from Meshuggah. It was a different kind of, you know, technical metal and everything. And um, like I said, at that time, I was very much interested in that particular thing or whatever in terms of metal. Um, and so... Um, Behave through mythos, I think, is the name of the track. Um, that that was um, that was very striking to me. You know, listening to those uh, those blast beats and everything, how they're going like back and forth or whatever between like this like super fast blast beat type thing or whatever, and then it slows down, and then of course you know there's like a more regular type of you know regular type of groove or whatever when you know when they're singing behave through mythos or whatever. So. I mean, I dug that, you know, just from from the level of form and everything, like just compositionally speaking, how adventurous, you know, that music is and everything, you know, when, when I've listened to the music from from Wisdom and Hate. Um, but then that led me to Obscura because, you know, because I was telling a good friend of mine, you know, yeah, you know, Gorgots and from Wisdom to Hate and that sort of thing or whatever. And it's like, yeah, well, dude. You think that's something you need to check out Obscura and listen to the music on that and listen to the drumming, especially um, Patrick. Uh, for, for, Patrick it. Robert. Right, right, right. Yeah. Patrick Robert. Yeah. I mean, it was <laughs> I mean, that's some of the most heaviest metal drumming I've ever heard. You know, just listening to that record, you know, listening to Obscura. When I checked out Obscura, I mean, it's like not only is the music you know, highly technical and this kind of thing. And there's a lot of dissonance and, you know, all that, but compositionally that music was also, you know, very interesting to me, you know, just listening to, you know, how the music sounds and, you know, you know, just the each, each, each track on a record has like a, a, a kind of 
a, a, a particular language, like every track had a different syntax to, you know, to each way, you know, to, to each way that the song would go and everything. Like it was, it was, always, you know, so that, that was particularly striking to me. And it reminds me of Stockhausen's music too, where like, you know, where almost like almost every composition he wrote had a different syntax or a different language uh, somehow, you know, he's working with. And so that was what Obscura was like, you know, to me, you know, and listening to that music. And so, um, so the virtuosity required to really play that kind of music was, you know, it was, it was, it was, it, it, it struck me the most and everything, you know, in terms of, you know, from Wisdom to Hate, of course, is, is a fantastic record, you know, it's a really great Gorgas record, but Obscura, like, hands down for me is my number one, uh, go-to record to check out. And I actually just got both of those on vinyl too. And everything after basically listening to it on a computer screen for the last 15 years. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, 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 it's really refreshing to come back to listen to this music again and everything in a medium that I, you know, in most favor of or whatever, which is vinyl. And it's, it's, it's really cool to hear the music a bit differently and everything and to, and to, and to just be reminded of the clarity that it takes for a drummer like Patrick Robert you know, to execute, you know, these very, very difficult, um, ensemble passages and different things. I mean, it's, it's, it's extraordinary, you know, listening to that music. And, um, like I said, it, it's some of their most, you know, compositionally adventurous work, I feel, or whatever, you know, to date and everything. But I mean, and some of the stuff on From Wisdom to Hate, as I said before, is also quite good, but Obscura kind of caps it all, you know, for me, definitely. I'm curious, like we talked about sort of like techniques making their way in, um, maybe, maybe some of the, the blast beats, double kick, things like that. Right. Um, I'm curious about, so if you, if you take something like pillars, um, which, which as you've, you know, kind of, as you've stated, you know, to put, to put any kind of genre on that, it just seems kind of pointless. Yeah. Um, but you know, in terms of like a vibe of, of metal or, or, or like a sort of a dark, a darkness, yeah. like, mm-hmm. like, do, do you, like, there are moments on that record when when I my mind goes that way, and uh-huh. do do you think that the kind of when oh, you listen to when you listen to pillars, yeah, just okay. just yeah, yeah. like like mm-hmm. and again not nothing stylistic, just sure. a mood thing, sure, yeah. And like, do, do you think that like the mood or vibe of, of metal has has made its way into your work? Certainly has, um, most definitely, and also you know I I forgot to mention one other thing that was meaningful for me also was John Zorn asking me to participate in Valentine's Day, um, which is the the CD that came out with Mark Rebo and Trevor Dunn, which is also a super heavy thing or whatever, like the group Osmodeus or whatever. Um, they've done they've done a CD called Osmodeus under that name with G. Calvin Weston, uh, really great drummer, uh, playing with, um, with, with Mark and Trevor. Um, on, um, I forget, I think they were playing part of a book of angels, uh, type thing or whatever. But then when I joined the group, we were Valentine's day and we played at the village Vanguard. Um, that was our first performance or whatever with me in a group, uh, with Mark and Trevor. And it was overwhelmingly successful and everything. And, and it was another one of those occasions where, you know, Zorn basically gave me an opportunity to do something that I don't really do at all. And so um, I have to also give credit to John for giving me the opportunity to be able to explore drumming in that way and everything like super heavy, uh, very fast, highly energetic 
um kind of music and um so it was it was it was it's and i you know if he if he asked me again to do it i will do it because it's you know like i said i don't do it regularly and it's something that excites me i mean musically the music is great you know and it's it's always an exciting um, opportunity to be able to play that way you know with people and you know sometimes slash my finger or whatever the case and just keep going you know it's it's always it's always fun but yes in 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 my work particularly pillars um you know i i would say that the influence is there probably more than any other recording um that i've done um definitely and 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 do you see do you see yourself because you know you mentioned sort of the the improv thing with joe and really pushing the limits on that right like do you see like like a a a more like compositionally directed thing like would you ever want to sort of like put something together that you pushed even further into like overtly playing things like that um yeah i'd like to do that i just you know i've just haven't gotten around to it yet because i have a million and one other ideas i'd like to get to but um but certainly that's that's definitely an avenue that i'd like to explore or whatever even you know with with composition and everything where i'm where i'm able to create an osmodeus type situation for myself um you know or a valentine's day type of situation for myself where i can do that you know with you know in in a project like that or whatever i mean dan weiss certainly has done it with stair baby and that kind of thing so i'd like to eventually get to a place where i can do that too but but i just want to get to a place where i'm super confident where i can explore that compositionally but like i said i got too many ideas and that's a big problem with why i don't get a lot of different things done (laughs) but uh but yeah certainly that's something I'm, i'm more than willing to explore definitely well, it, it's it's kind of cool that you mentioned John sort of like pushing you in that direction because right. like if you think about it, he's brought Dave Lombardo and Mick Harris from Napalm Death in right. from yes. the metal world, mm-hmm. trying of nudging them the other way. So it's, yeah. it's it's he's he's like a catalyst for a lot of musicians, I think. Oh yeah, it was it was a wonderful experience. Um, what year did I even start working in that project? I mean, I guess it was it was a few years ago or whatever when I started playing with Osmodeus. Um, when I first worked with John was when we recorded in the Hall of Mirrors, uh, which is a project with Stephen Gosling, uh, Greg Cohen, and me. And um, it was a it's a book of completely notated piano music along with um, improvising rhythm section or whatever. And so, um, so we did that project, and you know, and it was great and everything. It was really cool, you know, doing that project. But then, like, Zorn approached me maybe some months after we recorded, and he said, I have a book of these enigmas, you know, the, the, the CD uh, Enigmata, uh, which is a duo with Mark Rebo and Trevor Dunn. Um, so he says, I have this, I have this book of um, 12 pieces or whatever that I wrote for Mark and Trevor uh, called Enigmata. Why don't you check out the CD and everything and check out you know, and I'm going to sing you the scores and everything. Would this be something that you're interested in? And so, you know, I looked at the scores and everything, and of course, everything looked great. You know, and I said, "Yeah, sure, I'd love to do it." And he said, and then he said, "Okay, well, this is a this is a much heavier thing or whatever. So, would you be up for that?" And I said, "Oh, hell yeah, totally up for it." <laughs> you know, because I never get to do that. So it's like, yeah, totally, a hundred percent. You know, I'm definitely down to do it. And so we go to the studio that summer and um and you know we we record the tracks and everything drum tracks and um i mean it was it was one of the best experiences i've ever had in a recording studio you know to be able to 
do finally record something that I've never done before and everything in, in, in that situation, you know? So I, you know, I gotta, I gotta say that that, you know, and every time we play live and everything, the experience is always supercharged up, you know, every time we close out all of the concerts, you know, particularly these, um, bagatelles concerts or whatever that we've been doing in, Europe um you know the last one I've done with them was probably um in 2017 and it was funny because when I did did that gig I think I think the most I think it was probably the most extreme that I've played in this group um was in Paris um and it was a night of John's you know we were there for a couple of days like I played one night of uh, or one day of John Zorn's you know contemporary music pieces or whatever for improvising drummer or improvising rhythm section along with piano so i and also with um i did a thing with two cellos or our burls um for myself and two cellos uh that i'd done the day before and then the day after that were all the bagatelles groups um you know it was it was you know i played in chris davis's um quartet with mary halverson drew dress and chris and um Let's see. And the other the other group that I played in was Osmodeus. And so that was the same day that I finished my dissertation. <laughs> so you can imagine I got no sleep, you know, the night before, you know, Osmodeus played at this Bagatelles night. And so I was just, you know, basically running on fuel all day, you know, coffee, or, you know, that kind of thing or whatever. The entire day, because like I said, I've gotten no sleep and I didn't want to get into a situation where, you know, I'd be feeling all tired or whatever for the gig or whatever. I have to 100 percent bring it every time, you know, and so I can't I can't I can't fuck that opportunity up. And so what I did was I, um, you know, I basically was up for I don't know how many hours, you know, doing that. But um, I was extremely charged up um, for the performance and was ready to go, and, uh, I mean, that's some of the most extreme playing that I've ever done, like, ever, um, on that stage in Paris, I mean, we were closing out the concert for one, so naturally, <laughs> you know, we're, we're expected to really, you know, up the ante uh, a bit and everything, no matter the context or whatever, that's, that's how, that's, a, that's how I feel about it, um, and, um, it was a fun experience, you know. Like I said, you know, I, I've, I've, you know, I've been through a lot of stress before that gig, and finally, when my dissertation was done, when I turned it in um, to my advisor, when I've turned it in, and when I said, "Okay, I'm done," I'm just going to chill for the day, and I'm going to get ready for this gig. I mean, that to me was was a rewarding experience or whatever to be able to, you know, have a situation where I'm like completely stressed out and at my wits end with everything else, and it's like. And then come to a musical situation like Osmo Deus and um, and be ready to really bring it. And we brought it, and it was and it was a great concert. And that I think that was the last thing I've done with them. But I'm definitely hoping to do more with them at some other point, you know, soon. Yeah, I, I know you've got to wind down soon, so that that might be a good place sure. to cap it. Yeah, I, I I actually did see the Vanguard gig. Oh, you did? Okay, yeah, and I cool. Be, I believe it was the double bill with Milford playing before, right, that's and right. that was one of the most intense nights of music I've that ever seen. A, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep, Milford. You know, I mean, he's another one of those. I, th- I think you should also maybe sometime interview him and see what that would see what that would be like. See, you know, kind of 
Because there's connections there, you know what I mean? Definitely between metal and uh, the stuff that he does, too, you know, from a virtuosic standpoint or whatever, and, and as well from a st- sonic standpoint. I mean, it's incredible. And so to have to follow that, <laughs> you know, for, for me is like, you know, again, it's one of those situations where, you know, you got you to gotta 100% bring it. You got to really, um, you know, I'm not trying to match what he did and everything, but I at least have to, you know, match energetically what just took place so i have to you know even up the ante from what i'm used to you know what i mean or something like that and so that's always been my position or whatever in that group is to is to always you know really 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 push it for it you know to you know to a super intense level it it, it was an intense night of music i remember because i was there for milford's set and um i was like man how the hell am i gonna play after that <laughs> you know <laughs> like i mean that's that's every experience i've had you know when watching milford perform or whatever it's like how the hell am i gonna follow that and you know and so it was really a response to what i had heard you know what i mean in terms of what happened on that gig and it, it was a super fun gig you know and um and zorn certainly seemed super pleased with it and everything after we were done and so that that was the beginning of that relationship or whatever with Osmodeus and playing with them. Cool. All right. Thank you so much, man. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. so much for listening huge thanks to tyshawn for his time and stay tuned for the next episode of the heavy metal bebop podcast coming soon